Good afternoon, all. This is Lee Smith, and welcome to the latest, the new episode of the improbably named Lee Smith Show, Durham on the March. You've seen, no doubt, me describe today's episode as uh, the Super Bowl of Russiagate coverage. And um, I'm only being half joking because the, the, the three gentlemen that we have on today, Jeff Carlton, Jeff Carlson, excuse me, Jeff, Hans Manka and Fool Nelson. I mean, these these guys are terrific researchers, terrific writers. I'm sure you've been following them on uh, Truth Social of late and for several years now, Twitter. And uh, these gentlemen are, are f- uh, fantastic writers. I-, I can't tell you how much I've learned from all of them. Um, and I'm sure you've learned from all of them, too. And that's why we have it looks like we have an enormous show right here. I'm still looking for Hans. I don't know if Hans has joined us yet, but we will we'll get him in one second. In the meantime, I'm going to ask um, Jeff and Fool to. Um, I mean, let's get right into it, guys. Let's talk about let's talk about the most recent Durham filings, and uh, what you think is the most what you think are the most noteworthy points from it. So, Jeff, let's start with you. Jeff, can you hear me okay? Have you, have you, I think if you hit the. Let's see if the mic is good this time. There, there you go. I can hear you great. Welcome. Thanks very much, Jeff. Thanks for joining today. Thank you. And so uh, a lot of accolades that were unnecessary, given that I kind of grew up in this whole Spygate thing reading your stuff. So. That's very kind. That's, that's really nice. Um, well, why don't we get right into it? Why don't you um, – you know, why don't you you tell me what you think? You know, I, I mean, I'm 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 learning from what you've been, what from what you and Hans have been writing. But I'm going to scout around to see where Hans is here. Hans um, is there. I see him. Uh, okay, he, I'm going to I'm going to look for him and invite him to speak. Um, I'll bring him in. But why don't you go ahead and start, and then I'm going to go to uh, Fool, and then we'll uh, then we'll bring in Hans too. Well, you know, I think one of the things that's worth noting here that that Hans and I kind of took away from looking at all of these different filings is that Durham is illustrating this Clinton campaign two pronged plan to create the Trump Russia collusion narrative. Um, You know, and as most people know, the first and better known element of that project is the one that involved, you know, fusion and Trump dossier author Christopher Steele, former MI6 spy. But we now have learned all these new details of this whole other element, this other prong that involved Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman. And most importantly, his use of data that was exploited by tech executive Rodney Jaffe, along with his team of IT operatives. And, you know, just kind of taking the larger picture on this, I think it's worth, you know, these things started in early 2016 But those two prongs came together in late July 2016, and they did so directly in front of the FBI's opening of its investigation into the Trump campaign, what's better known as Crossfire Hurricane. And that happened when Steele and Sussman met in Washington, um, along with a group of other Clinton campaign operatives. And what what happened from there, I think, is is in some ways really interesting, is that these twin prongs of attack were then sort of merged by the heads of the intelligence community into what we referred to as the single unified spear 
that incorporated government agencies like the FBI and government action and the FISA and all the kind of stuff, um, but also was really led by Brennan. And, you know, what he kind of picked up was this whole element of Russian interference and formally established that in the latter half of 2016. And against this entire backdrop, I just think it can't be stated enough is the huge fallout and the damage that was done by Clinton and her operatives in this. So, you know, for something like six years, our nation has been almost myopically kind of forced to be focused on Russia. And it impaired our foreign relations. It impacted our foreign policy um, in ways that could be described perhaps later. Um, it likely contributed to events that were leading to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And, in my mind, most importantly, it took our nation's eyes and our nation's focus off of our far greater adversary, China. Um, and I'll say one more thing before I, you know, kind of let somebody else jump in here is, you know, what we've noticed throughout this whole process is the role of the media. Uh, the journalists, we, you know, we now have the emails. Journalists cooperated willingly, eagerly with Fusion, and they were rewarded for doing it. To my knowledge, none of the journalists who pushed any of this nonsense, things that have been you know, now proven to be false, were in any way impacted or hurt. As a matter of, and there's been no reckoning, no apology from any of these people. And in fact, we have the, you know, the one example that we know of, which we can get into a little bit later, of a, a journalist who actually pushed back on things, uh, he ended up being fired. So, you know, anyway, I'm just trying to provide a kind of a larger backdrop to where we go from here. Hope that helps a little bit. Jeff, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, this is, of course, one of the, the most noteworthy things from this from the latest filing, the inadvertent filing of, um, of the version uh, unredacted with the journalist names available. So we know a lot of the who, who a lot of the people are. Yeah, of course, m most of these people were rewarded. Right. I mean, you know, I've seen Hans tweet recently. And of course, uh, you know, uh, President Trump is has remarked about this, too. Are these guys going to give back their Pulitzers or what? And of course not. They were rewarded because one of the things I think that we one of the things we're starting to get a, a clearer picture of is that this was an all hands on deck Washington effort. Right. There's something in the in the Tom Hamburg or the Washington Post National Security Correspondent where he says, yeah, a guy in Russia doesn't believe it. Exactly. Right. Because this whole thing was covered by Washington people, whether it was the whether it was the bureaucracies, the federal bureaucracies or whether it was the Washington and New York press corps. That was the key. Right. So there are still real journalists in the world. Unfortunately, there are very few of them who are in Washington, D.C., and, and that's, what, that's what continues to carry Russiagate. Um, let's go. Hans, did you want to say something, Jeff? Well, I, I guess I just wanted to note one last thing, and that is, yeah. you know, it's important for people to realize that this effort on behalf with the journalists coming out of Fusion started earlier than perhaps a lot of people think, that at a bare minimum, it was in late April that discussions between in April 2016, that discussions between Fusion and, you know, this variety of journalists actually began. Mark Hosenball, who is in this correspondence, I note, I believe it's plot against the president, but it might be permanent coup. 
that Hosen Ball in February 2016 publishes what I what I've identified as the first piece uh, uh, suggesting that Michael General Michael Flynn was suspiciously meeting with uh, with Russians, especially that RT dinner. So all of these people who are in these who are in these emails, I mean, these guys have been in it for a long time. And Hosenball, I mean, either he's getting that stuff from Fusion or he's getting it from from the law enforcement uh, and intelligence community that was looking to to set up Flynn. So yeah, it's very damning. Um, yeah, or perhaps Halper. Yeah, I mean, whether I mean, we might consider. I mean, he might be part of both. <laughs> he might be part of fusion, and we certainly yeah. be part of the intelligence community stuff. Um, look, one thing I wanted to say. I'm going to cut away to fool in a second here. Usually, we go for about an hour, but we've got three people on here today, and I know how, how the Twitter uh, the Twitter spaces used to work. So I suspect we're going to be going a little longer than an hour, if that's okay with you guys. I don't want to burden everyone all afternoon, but if you guys want to keep going on, then you know, then then I, I I've got time, and I and I know our audience. We've got a lot of people who are checking it out, and I'm sure they're here to uh, keen to hear everyone speak. So let's cut away to fool, and then uh, then Hans, uh, if you can go after. Yeah, sure. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Great to hear All right, you. sweet. My headphones. Thank awesome. You my headphones are actually that. working this time. <laughs> yeah, right, thanks, Lee. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Um, I guess just to like, just to go off what Jeff was saying, I guess just to say where I think it's going. Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious that Durham is kind of seeking this conspiracy, and uh, he doesn't seem very hindered by statutes of limitations, which is really good. I think like he's definitely trying to figure out who is basically trying to create this this conspiracy to defraud the government, which I think that's where it's going. And Jeff was talking about, I guess, sort of the CIA element to it. And I think that's, we have the Ratcliffe letter, which we talk about a lot, which is July uh, 20, late July, I guess, is when there is this supposed alleged um, uh, scandal or, or proposal to, to tie Trump to the DNC hack and um, they picked that up from Russian intelligence. And it was pretty obvious that that our intelligence community was aware of this sort of scandal that was brewing. But they sort of didn't really act on it at all. But um, I don't want to go there. I just wanted to say, like, that I it, it seems it's, it's really, like, interesting to me because, like, what's happening in Ukraine right now, um, the war and everything. And I feel like it's basically like Jeff was saying that none of this would have happened probably this war and everything if Hillary didn't decide to tie Trump to this and the Republicans to say that they're all Russia, Russia, Russia guys. Like there's this email um, in, in coming out of the Podesta emails where there's this poll and they're trying to figure out what the weakness of, of Hillary was, I think September 3rd, 2015. And they're, they found that the weakest part of Hillary's campaign was that uh, her ties to the Uranium One deal and stuff like that. And it seemed like it went from there that then Chalupa started picking up the Manafort stuff. And then like January 12th, 2016, um, Manafort, the criminal investigation was started. Then like you go to January 19th, 2016, the Charamella meeting happened with all the Ukrainian prosecutors. They were trying to look into, they're trying to uh, work with them about people Americans tied to the uh, party of regions, which would have been Manafort. And then 
luckily, I guess for them, I don't think I'm, I'm not sure if this was a coincidence or not, but uh, eventually Manafort joined the Trump campaign and that gave them a reason to look into him deeper. Uh, they already had a criminal investigation going and it just went forward from there. But immediately once they sort of had this this tie in from the Trump campaign to Russia, they went after it hard and they clearly were bringing as much bullshit as can I say that much bullshit as they could possible. Think, yeah, that's all, yeah. The, <laughs> the black ledger, the steel yeah. dossier, they're all just giving it to the FBI. They all knew it was garbage. The journalists knew it was garbage. Like you're saying, Jay Solomon knew it was garbage, but they just tried to give that to the FBI and uh, get something going. And that was clearly a, a conspiracy. And I think that, I mean, these meetings between Elias, Jaffe, Sussman, Sego, all these people, they knew what they were doing. And I think that's going to come. I think that's where, where they're going. But I, I like I just want to say, like, it's very interesting to tie into Ukraine because I feel like that's the only reason there was because, I mean, Yanukovych was gone. Hunter Biden gets his deal. Joe Biden's over there, the point man. And then it comes forward and Hillary's like, OK, what's your main weakness? Uh, Uranium one. And they're like, all right, we need to tie since uh, we're going to accuse the Republicans mm-hmm. of what we're doing. Tie Trump to that. Um, luckily they got Manafort was a, a tie to Yanukovych and, and he came into the, into the campaign and, and it went on from there. And it's, and that's what we've been living for the last six years because Hillary is basically because Hillary had more ties to Russia than anybody else. And now we have to live through this because the mainstream media just has to, has to go with any narrative the Democrats want. And it's Full insane, life. but that's where we're at. Yeah, no, fool. Thanks for the great introduction. I mean, I, I, I oh, first thanks. of all, can, can you hear me okay? Because I hear one, one of our, our, our listeners, yeah, you're good. Adam, is saying he, my, my volume seems low. So Adam, maybe turn it up more when I'm on. Um, look, fool, and, and, and I agree. I, I think that a lot of us saw this coming, that what we were watching unfold with Russiagate was not simply uh, a Beltway political scandal. It was not simply an abuse of, uh, of, of, of law enforcement authorities. It was not simply an abuse of, of FISA authorities and the resources of the federal government. It was also a national security scandal, uh, a foreign policy scandal waiting to happen. And we're in the middle of it. I find it astonishing that every time we turn on the news and we hear people commenting on Russia and Ukraine, it's the same people who were lying about Russia and Ukraine for five or six years. And that's what they've stuck the American people with. The people who are not only explaining it, but the people who are guiding this, like Jake Sullivan, who was involved in Russiagate on the, on the ground floor, even according to a Durham filing, Jake Sullivan knew what was going on. And these are the people leading American foreign policy toward Russia right now. It is very bad. Um, Hans, can you, uh, first of all, hi, great to see you. Thank you so much for being here. And um, yeah, if you'd like to tell us where you think it's going, what what you think the most recent, what you think is most interesting about the recent filing. Andy, thanks for having us on. Can can you hear me first of all? Yeah, I can hear you great. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, I, can, I can hear you great. Thanks. Uh, and thank you for being here, Matt. Thanks. I I think there's. Um, in a way, Steve McIntyre pointed this out the other day. So Steve McIntyre is the guy who brought me into the whole Russia Gate thing. Um, he's been probably doing this longer than any of us. Um, I was just a, a lawyer, and I, you know, the I kind of thought it was 
odd that this guy Papadopoulos was pleading guilty to something he didn't do. That was kind of my very first introduction into all of this. And through that, uh, Steve and I connected and he kind of brought me in. And Steve pointed something out the other day from these new filings, which is, is really sort of a really simple point, but it's probably the most important point of all, which is you, you talked about this guy, Tom Hamburger, the Washington Post's uh, national security correspondent. So these emails that came out of Durham the other day, they show very clearly a very short timeline in July of 2016, when Hamburger was told by these fusion people uh, basically to go after Carter Page, and Carter Page had met uh, Igor Sechin in Moscow, and they were colluding, as, as well as this other guy called Igor Divyekin. So Hamburger ran it down with his own people in Moscow, and we're talking about Washington Post here, right? And they have their own people there, and whatever their politics, they came back and said, this is bullshit. That was their word, not mine. And they said, it is impossible. And of course it's impossible. Uh, Carter Page was there for three days. He was chaperoned. He had a driver. He was in a hotel. Igor Sechin is one of the most important people in the entire country. He's the CEO of Rosneft. Rosneft is like one of the biggest energy companies in the whole world. It's one of the top 50 companies by size in the whole world. <laughs> not <laughs> deputy prime minister of Russia. You know, you're not gonna, he's not gonna just going to have a, a, sort of a, a quick meet and greet or you know, coffee with this guy without people noticing so uh, the point was that the Washington Post, within a couple of days at most, and we can see this from the emails, uh, basically ran this down and said, this is bullshit. This didn't happen. But it was that exact accusation, which was later used by the FBI to get the FISA warrant to spy on the Trump campaign. So how is it that the uh, Washington Post is able to run this down in a couple of days, but the FBI isn't and uses it for FISA? Uh, I think that, in a way, it's just a, it's just a couple of emails, right? Hamburger. But I think that is, to me, is probably the biggest thing out of all of this. And of course, you know, it's a rhetorical question because we know exactly that the FBI knew it was bullshit, but they still used it anyway. But I think now we really have our proof. Um, Hans, you just raised something that I hadn't really thought of before. And that is this, right? Because it's, it's extremely odd, the idea that the people at the Post wouldn't say, wait a minute, our, our Russia guys say this is nonsense and they're on the ground. And they would know, so forget it. So how did that get overridden? What happens? And it goes to a point that I've been making. So who overrode, who overrode the, 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 the Russia guys, right? The post-Russia guys. It's not just the people in Washington. It's not just the national security staff. At this point, now it's, law, now it's federal law enforcement. Now it's the FBI and the DOJ who are saying, believe us, it's real. We're doing this. We're investigating it. It's real. And that goes to a point that what the press has been the last since, certainly since at least the advent uh, of Russiagate, is that the press is the public face of America's national security apparatus, which is disastrous. So I hadn't thought of that until you were making that point. Um, And I, I think it's a great point. So, um, look, what, what, I, what I wanted to do is with you guys, I, I mean, let's just have a conversation. Don't necessarily have to go on order. Let's, um, you know, let, let's just start talking about what we think next steps are. Um, you know, what, uh, who, else may be, who else may be in the spotlight, you know, so, um, but I'll, I'll just start again and I'll just start again in order. Jeff, if you want to go, and again, Guys, keep it as conversational as you like. Uh, you know, we'll be we'll all be polite with each other stepping in, but uh, let's have a talk. 
Yeah, I, I guess I would like to just continue a little bit on this idea of the media and the extension uh, of our intelligence agencies, because that's a point that I've been trying to make forever. And everything feeds downstream from the Washington Post and the New York Times and probably in that order. And, you know, they, they've involved all of these people in, in their efforts. And it, it, it's, you know, Brennan said about there's a the very tight timeline, timeline that happens where Brennan said about, you know, trying to set this, this hook, this narrative and that that Russia was colluding with Trump. And he did so, and and his efforts and what he told Congress mimicked almost exactly what the Clinton campaign, you know, the plan of the Clinton campaign was. Um, Basically, that Trump was a puppet of Russia. So the message that Brennan delivered was almost exactly, exactly the same. And I'm, I'm quoting here, but it's Russia's goals were to undermine public faith in the U.S. democratic process, denigrate Secretary Clinton, and harm her electability and potential presidency, and to help President Trump's election chances. And, you know, Brennan was the first one. He took a lot of pride in saying that, hey, I was the first guy to brace Russia in August 4th, I believe it was, about their election interference efforts. So, you know, from there, he went out, well, so what does he do? First, he goes out and he braces Russia and he raises the issue publicly. You can now point to that. He he, he says that he called, uh, he says that he called his, uh, his counterpart in Moscow and warned him which I find improbable. Um, I find well, he improbable. said he, he calls the FSB uh, right. director in, in Moscow. Yeah, right. Bordikov. It's not even his actual counterpart, which would be, should be that's, the FDR, but he calls uh, the other guy. You're right. You're right. right. Yeah. And, and that's a good point there, is that it wasn't his actual counterpart. But he's yeah. able to raise it publicly. And then he says, I was the first U.S. official to brace Russia on this issue. Then Brennan sets about a series of briefings to the Congressional Gang of Eight. And, you know, that's where I just referenced that quote. So importantly, what Brennan noted is that he did that in consultation with the White House. I personally briefed the full details of our understanding of Russian attempts to interfere in the election to congressional leadership. And that immediately led to a letter from Harry Reid to James Comey. Uh, not only claiming that there was evidence of a direct connection between the Russian government and Donald Trump's campaign, but also calling for now a public investigation. And three days after that happened, House Democrats jump into the process and they also wrote to Comey and they asked him to investigate the Trump-Russia collusion and if connections were involved, et cetera. Um, And, you know, as we had Dems publicizing Brennan's claims, you had the media, particularly the Washington Post and the New York Times, really accelerating their efforts and starting to increasingly talk about Russia. Um, and, and they did it kind of slowly. And it started off, I, I can recall an article that, that included quotes from, uh, uh, oh, gosh, Mike, our Russian ambassador, our former Russian ambassador. Michael and McFall. Michael McFall. Yeah. Yep. 
and they got repeated quotes. And it's interesting because every time Michael McFall spoke, so did David Kramer, uh, who, you know, was the affiliate with the McCain Foundation. Those two guys would always go in tandem, very conveniently so. And the first article was in June and they were going after uh, they were going after um, not Sergey Milian, but. um, Oh, my gosh. Carter. Carter Page. Nope, not Carter Page. It was Hitlerovs uh, or Oh, I'm gonna have to come back to it now. I'm so embarrassed I can't no, remember it's okay. the name. Wasn't Felix? this all live tweeting? Yeah, there you go. Felix yeah. Sater. That's who it was. Oh, Felix Sater, right. Wasn't wasn't McFall also live tweeting when Carter Page was in Moscow? There was something going on like that. Something very odd. Um I'm sorry, Jeff. Yeah, go ahead, please. I, I don't recall that, but yeah. he's been kind of Johnny on the spot in a lot of right. different places. And, you know, McFall, for that matter, has always been kind of myopically focused. Like his entire, I mean, a guy who's part of directing a Russian policy, his entire focus is Putin is terrible and period. That's it. Everything right. else stops from there and that's it. And, you know, to have a guy like that directing a Russian policy is, is, is really kind of frightening. Um, but, you know, we, we continue to have this very, very tight timeline that accelerates. And, you know, Brennan sends a memo to the FBI warning them of the Clinton's plan to vilify Trump. And I use the word warning very intentionally mm-hmm. because nothing happened as a result of that. The FBI already had their crossfire hurricane investigation going into Trump. There was no investigation that was opened into the Clinton campaign. That memo was simply received by the FBI and 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 then things moved on. And that memo came directly in front of what we're really, I guess, here to talk about. And that was Sussman's involvement. Um, you know, one week after Brennan's memo to the FBI, Christopher Steele prepared a sequence of memos at the direction of Fusion, one of which mentioned Alpha Bank. And it was on that very same day that Sussman met with Jaffe in the offices of Perkins Coie. And very the day after that, Mark Elias meets with the Clinton advisors. That's Jennifer mm-hmm. Palmieri. That's Robbie Mook. That's Jake Sullivan, you know, who now has a position with as national security advisor for, for Biden regarding the Alpha Bank allegations. And then four days later, Sussman has his meeting with James Baker the FBI's general counsel. Mm, all right. Um, interesting. Uh, Fool, Hans, you want to pick that up? Well, I wanted, I wanted to hop on, on, on that about the, the Brennan, I guess. I mean, what goes into the, the Ratcliffe letter, I guess. Because it's like, it's interesting because during like the 2017 to like upwards to like 2020 um, time period, all we basically had was that Washington Post article where they're like, Oh, Brennan had this this super top secret meeting where he got this intel drop, where Putin directed, uh, where Putin was directly involved in in um, in ordering this this hack operation. And I know Lee, you've written about this before, like where it seems like that in that intel drop was basically the dossier. Um, 
and 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 we didn't hear anything about this hit, this Clinton plot to tie Trump to Russia. We didn't get anything of that until until Ratcliffe stepped off. And it was almost like um, for that that intel drop was basically that the Russian intelligence was that the Russians basically intercepted Steele and whoever yeah. Steele inter- like they intercepted Steele and and the rest of the DNC right. passing around Report ninety five, which was basically saying that Putin directly. Um, ordered this DNC hack campaign and Trump was involved and and everything. So it's almost like Brennan had the dossier. He intercepted like like our intelligence community intercepted it from uh, or had had the Russians. Um, we intercepted basically ninety five the report ninety five from the Russians. Right. It was sitting there and we're like, okay, let's let's take this this dossier seriously. So it was it was Putin directing it. Right. But they didn't they didn't they didn't tell us anything about that it was actually the Clinton campaign trying to tie it to Russia. Like that's Wait, what was insane to me. Like when it came out the Ratcliffe letter, I'm like, uh, oh, okay. The Russians were had basically report ninety five and we took right. it seriously, but at the same time, like Brennan had in his notes it was it was Hillary Clinton trying to tie Trump to the DNC hack. It's so insane. Wait, like I, I just I just want to get this straight because I think that what you're saying is is that the Russian information that Brennan said he had was yeah. actually the fact that the Russians may have found out about Steele's reporting. So exactly. information yeah. the FBI seeded seeded into the press and elsewhere. This is what yeah. the CIA said they came up with. Fascinating. That would be perfect. That would be. Perfect. It, it, I mean, like it's weird because like that's all we ever heard from them in in that 2017 to 2020 period. That is like, oh, Putin directed it. Blah blah blah. We didn't ever hear there was a Hillary Clinton campaign. And then like, and you look at like the Brennan's notes and and then the letter. Like you have like it's Hillary Clinton basically approved of this this scandal. Right. And then everything else is redacted. And I'm like, what's in there? Uh, but it's almost it, it, they basically use the intelligence how they wanted to, which was basically, right. oh, this intelligence is real, even though it's basically just the dossier. <laughs> right. You know, hey, I, if I could just jump in real yeah, fast yeah, yeah, here, yeah, sure, there's sure. an extraordinarily because what Fool just said, uh, you know, there was there was a sequence in Lisa Page's testimony where she was presented with some evidence that perhaps Brennan knew of all of this well in advance of themselves. And she expressed real, real surprise over that. And, you know, if, literally saying if the CIA had another source of that information, I'm neither aware of that, nor did the CIA provide it to us if they did. So, you know, fool's accentuation of that, of that particular yeah. point is a, is a really good focus. I mean, well, I, like I, even Lee, you've, you've written about it where you say like Mary Jacoby on that Facebook post was like, oh, like, yeah, it was all Glenn Simpson. He read the dossier to Barack Obama in the Oval Office or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that that's how I've seen it. I, I, I've seen actually the the dossier, I think, has been a clever way to explain information that was already out there. Right. It, it was kind of. um you know, the, 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 it, it was kind of uh, they were hiding it in plain sight. This information was information that may have even started with John Brennan, but they decided to call it the dossier. And by calling it the dossier, they could get away with saying, and I'm not sure they figured this out at the beginning, but they eventually used it. But that by calling it the dossier, they could say, 
oh yeah, no, Barack Obama didn't see the dossier. What he saw was information that John Brennan put on his desk, but it's, that's the same information, but it's not the dossier because it wasn't called the dossier by those people. You see what I'm saying? I, 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 I think it's the, I think it's the same exact thing but that they just, they just weren't using the, the phrase, the dossier. The, the other thing is that Brennan, that Brennan letter or that Brennan, uh, Brennan's notes, that struck me a little like the Susan Rice, uh, January 20th uh, CYA letter, right? It, 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 it struck me that Brennan was, may have been covering his, uh, may have been covering his flank with that. Well, well yeah, and that timeline's so tight. It's like, um, they got this intelligence like, I mean, I read the notes. It looks like it says like July 28th and then the meeting is July 28th. It's like, how did you just get all this intelligence and immediately go to Obama, schedule everything and just go right up to his office? It's so tight right, right. there. So I don't know what's going right. on. Hans? Hans, you there? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Uh Okay. Let me uh, go back to uh, uh, McFall just quickly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah, it's you. You were rightly. It's true. Uh, McFall live tweeted um, even ahead of time uh, when uh, Carter Page was in Moscow. Now, right. Why on earth would this guy, you know, do that? Right. Carter Page is just some random guy who goes to Moscow to a university to give a talk. Right. I mean, we've all done that in some way or another. It's just it's completely ridiculous that that he would do that. And obviously, right. there's more behind that. And then right. there was a couple of follow-ups. Right. So I just wanted right. to... Here, here's the former ambassador to, to, to Russia live tweeting the appearance of Carter Page, which that's totally normal, right? Yeah, it's, 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 it's bizarre. It, it, that, that's, that's the best word for it. That's exactly right. Um, in terms of the, uh, uh, this issue of, um, of Brennan being kind of forewarned or Russian intelligence kind of intercepting um, one of these reports... Um, it, there's a very interesting follow-up from that that impacts on, I guess, your original question, which was, you know, where where are we heading with this? Where, you know, what's going to happen with Durham? So, I mean, first of all, what's going to happen is in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to have a trial, and it's going to be the Sussman trial. And uh, the Sussman trial is now all down to something called materiality. Uh, so, uh, because we know that Sussman lied, and because he uh, he wrote can, it in can, a text message. Can you exp- can you go into that a bit? I mean, yeah, I, I, you're I'll, you're a lawyer. You know, it'd be great if you could fill us in a little bit on on what that means. Right. So um, initially, the uh, the charge against Sussman was that he lied to uh, James Baker, the FBI general counsel, about whom he was representing. He said he wasn't representing anyone, and in fact, he was representing this guy Joffe as well as the Cl- uh, Clinton campaign. Anyway, so at first, you know, there was a bit of back and forth for a few months on that until I, probably a few weeks ago, it was quite recently, uh, Durham <laughs> comes up with the text message. So uh, Sussman actually put, put his lie in writing. So we have a text message, it's not disputed. He sent uh, Baker a text message saying, I'm not coming on behalf of any client. Okay, he clearly was, he said he wasn't. So that's a lie. And he's not going to be able to wiggle out of that lie. And his lawyers know that. So that's why the, the whole discussion uh, has moved to something called materiality. And that's essentially the question of whether this lie mattered, whether it was material. Uh, an important point to note here is that materiality is a theoretical concept. We know from, you know from the Flynn case, which we've all followed for years and years, that 
the FBI already knew the answers. Now, leaving aside whether Flynn lied or not, I, I'm, he didn't lie, but let's just leave that aside for a moment. Uh, the FBI already had the transcript. So whatever he answered wouldn't have changed anything because they had the transcript. So, but it's, if he lied about it, it was still material. So that, that's sort of the first point to note there. Um, so even though it's theoretical, uh, the Sussman people are arguing, now arguing, that's their new argument, that, well, even if he lied about who, you, who he was representing, it didn't matter one bit because the FBI would have looked into that DNS data that, that he submitted anyway. Um, it doesn't matter whom he represents. Or the, he could have just been an anonymous, anonymous guy or you know, whoever, could have just sent it into the tip line. They would have looked at it anyway. So in terms of the outcome, in terms of the effects, it, it, it was totally identical. And that's been sort of troubling a few of us for a while because that's actually a pretty good argument that might overcome this whole materiality. But then we get to what Fool was saying earlier, and that's sort of the new point, which, um, which I hope they pick up on Durham's team, because I haven't, haven't seen that in any of their filings. So the argument on Sussman's side, just to kind of quickly recap, mm -hmm. is um, Sussman gave us this material, but he didn't say that he was representing Clinton. Uh, so that's a material lie. And Sussman's argument is, well, it, didn't ma it doesn't matter who I represent, because I'm going to give you the stuff and you're going to look at it. Okay, the way it played out is the FBI looked at it, and within a few days, they said, well, this, this doesn't check out, so they just tossed it, and that was the end of it. So from Sussman's point of view, it doesn't matter who submitted it, the FBI tossed it, didn't, didn't check out, end of story. The point is, that is not the end of the story, because given what Fool said, and given that there was this other document floating around, which the FBI had received by that time, the Clinton campaign was suspected of... Uh, basically concocting the whole thing. So in that context where the FBI has this note from Brennan that says uh, Clinton is suspected of concocting the whole, the whole hoax, and then they get uh, this, the materials to do with the hoax from Clinton's campaign lawyer, well, that's a pretty big deal because once that material doesn't check out, they're like, well, hold on, it doesn't check out, but... Um, where did it actually come from? Oh, it came from Hillary's lawyer. Oh, this must be part of that, that uh, deal, that, mm. that hoax that, that she's concocted. And, and the whole thing kind of develops yeah, from yeah. there. So then it becomes material at that point. And I, I think that's a really important argument to kind of just start raising and talking about because it doesn't end at the point where the FBI says, oh, well, it didn't check out. And then everyone moves on. That, that's just looking at it kind of from Trump's perspective. Can, can I, from Clinton's perspective, and it, right. so I'm not saying the FBI would have then investigated Clinton or whatever, but from a theoretical materiality point of view, it's extremely important to know where the information came from, because at that point, it reinforces that memo that Full was talking about, and then that whole thing kind of takes on a, a life of its own. So um, long story short, I, I think that's it. I mean, on, I, I think Sussman is done for. Once you introduce hmm. that argument, you, you can't wiggle out of the materiality anymore. It's done. Because whether or not he represented Clinton is, is massively important in following up on that other information that Fool was talking about. Fascinating. Um, a, a question for all of you guys. It's slipping my mind right now. But when are they saying that the FBI, whether it's in the, the Durham or Sussman or who, when are they saying that the FBI investigated and when did the FBI said, yeah, there's, this doesn't make sense? 
What, what's what what's the what's the date or the proximate approximate date uh, within a few days so in, uh, september 19th is when they got the data and 22nd is when they said it was bullshit uh, it could have been earlier but um we we there's a text message that from struck that basically said oh look this didn't check out so we're talking kind of 48 hours so wow like okay so so this is not there's something off here um, if any, if, I, I, I hate to recommend it as, as reading material, so I won't, but I'll just cite it in the Simpson and Fritch, uh, book, right. They describe how they describe how the New York times, Eric Lickblau, who's also in these emails that Lickblau was going to go with the alpha bank story until the times got called off it by someone up very high at the FBI. And, you know, I, I mean, I, 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 the possibilities there, I believe, are, are probably Comey and McCabe, though Baker's a possibility as well. And, and the permanent coup, uh, former Congressman Nunes thinks or, or suggests that he, he thought it was probably McCabe for different reasons. But this is strange, right? So if they're saying that the FBI, um, that the FBI, dismiss this material within a few days then why then why does the new york times only get a call are they only contacted by the fbi days or maybe even the day before that october 31 new york times story pops where the Times says uh where the Times says yeah the fbi investigated it but they found nothing there so why is that only the day before that the FBI calls in to warn the Times office? You guys have, have, have any have any conjecture, any ideas? Well, I think the official story is like within a couple of weeks, they called the, the, the Times and told them that. Because I think at, by then, well, they all, uh, the FBI already alerted send in the, the servers that actually hosted Trump email or dot com or whatever it was, because like. I think part of it is that by April or whatever, um, uh, the Trump Trump stopped uh, using Sendin as their servers for that uh, uh, email domain, so they didn't have anything to do with it. So they knew it wasn't Trump. Basically, is the way I understand it. And they and then the FBI alerted Sendin and to update their DNS logs because their their look alpha lookups or whatever of of the trump email domain but i think it was like within a couple weeks if i remember correctly from reading the stories that they they talked in new york times and i think they pretty much knew it was garbage and then i think the official like uh case was ended like in february or something like that that they knew that there wasn't any secret channel between um alpha and and trump hotels or whatever I, I think right? I'm, I'm loath to go back and check it, but I, I again, I because remember Simpson, Simpson talks about blowing up at Lickblau, says you guys blew it. That piece was uh, ter- yeah. I mean, terrible or something like that. So my sense was think, that uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I, well I think like uh, the it was within like a couple weeks that, that the FBI or Baker basically called the New York Times was like and and brought them down there to discuss the story and probably told them it was garbage, but I don't think it was like right before the election. I think it was still like in September when that happened. Okay. All right. Yeah. Lee, that that's fully my understanding as well. And that was supported by some of the transcripts. They probably called them 
sometime in early October and called them off. And Uh, there's two New York Times reporters that basically have admitted that, yeah, we kind of held off on that whole story. And, you know, they finally ran it. Now it's coincidental. Well, it's not coincidental that that story finally gets run on October 31st, the same day that you've got the stories from Franklin Feuer and from David Korn. But those three stories are very different. There's there's also the Financial Times story by uh, what's his name? Catherine Belton going after, you know, going after uh, Sergey Milian again. Yeah, so that's the same day. Yeah, yeah. but I, I, I'm, I'm all the, I'm just, I'm basically positive that the New York Times okay. knew about that in advance and right. did agree to go ahead and back off and hold off on the story. And if you read that 1031 story, you can actually, if you read between the lines, you can see that the New York Times reporters are actually pretty hot. Um, huh. You know, they were not happy yeah, yeah. with the fact that they got information this way from Fusion and then found out it was all kind of nonsense. However, that story was completely subsumed by the story that, that hit the same day from Franklin Four and the yeah. story that hit the same day from David Korn, um, right. you know, where David Korn outlined it. He was, he's the one that sort of out, outed the, uh, the whole dossier and referenced Alpha Bank, and then, of course, the Franklin Forrest story where he focused entirely on Alpha Bank. And same day, you've got an immediate ready statement out of Hillary Clinton, uh, along with Jake Sullivan, you know, highlighting that whole impact, and, and off that story goes. So it's the one time that the New York Times actually yeah, kind right. of honest, if you will, and they got completely <laughs> well, then, ignored. I, I Right. I guess they had no choice. One of their allies in the FBI is warning them off it. Um, yeah. Hot. I think they were also really mad they couldn't have gone out with that story two weeks before. Right. Right. Well, Licklau was very mad that he couldn't run the actual story he wanted oh, yeah. to run. Right. He was really mad. Right. Yeah. He, Simpson was mad and Licklau was mad, too. Um, Hans, is there anything that can be done as a lawyer? Is there anything that can be done? To hold the press, I mean, all the not all, but many of the names are before us now. Is there anything? Well, look, we see Durham moving on one front. Uh, is there anything that can be done to hold the press responsible for what they did to Sergey Millian, to Carter Page, to Michael Flynn, to um, a whole bunch of people? Uh, well, as a matter of law, you can lie. That's allowed. So just not to the government, which is what Sussman is. is uh... Uh, in court for, but uh, the, the press can lie, and that's all they do. That's all they do all day long. So yeah. the remedy has to, has to be uh, in, in the in the civil courts. So Sergey Million could should sue. Uh, Carter Page is suing. Well, he's suing a bunch of government actors. Um, media always hide behind. Well, we we you know look at Devin Nunes, look at Cash Patel. You got a bunch of cases going against media, still ongoing. It's 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 very tough uh, because the media has. Um, a bunch of uh, laws and precedents they can hide behind in, in terms of all their lies. But certainly this latest batch of emails, um, Hamburger again, coming back to that guy, Washington Post, right? right. Blatantly <laughs> stated, this is bullshit. This is yeah. impossible. This, these are his words, not mine, right? right? And then they still run with the story, as we discussed right. earlier, for you know their own reasons. But um, then, then you've you've kind of on the on the civil threshold, you've you've sort of you've crossed the threshold because now it's no longer oh you know we 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 just made a mistake or whatever. It becomes malicious at that point. So your own sources are telling you this is bullshit. Ah. You're telling you the story. So that that could actually be pretty good. 
Interesting. So, so that, Wade, would, would Sergey would Sergey have a case since Hamburger and Helderman were the ones uh, I believe they wrote a couple of pieces on on Sergey or at least one of the pieces on Sergey. So uh, so is this is this useful to a prospective case? We or, or we've already gone past the statute of limitations on these. Yeah, that, that's really the problem. I mean, Sergey has a number of fantastic cases, uh, no mm. question about it. Um, Carter Page has a number of very good cases. And also remember, these guys were, were especially Sergey, he wasn't even on the, he had nothing to do with the campaign, he had nothing to do with anything. He was just a private guy. Right. So that, that of course, uh, makes it easier to defame him than Carter Page, who was on the campaign. So that's like perhaps a little bit more difficult. But then, of course, if you're a politician, it becomes very difficult to, to win a defamation case. But no, I think Sergey has a number of really good cases. But as you just said, statute of limitations. Uh, we're now, what, six years out? Um, it's going to be very difficult to overcome any of these hurdles pretty much anywhere. Um, right. It's very unfair because we didn't, like, for instance, the hamburger email. We did not know about that until about two or three days ago. Yeah. So the, right. the clock should really start ticking now, not five or six years ago. Um, and you could perhaps make a legal argument that the clock only did start ticking now, but it's going to be very difficult because the, the court will say, well, but you knew you were defamed. And then yeah. you'll say, well, but I didn't have the evidence. I knew I was defamed, but I didn't have the proof. Now I have the proof. Well, still, you should have sued five or six years ago. The trouble is it's ca- it kind of catch-22. Right. If you'd sued five or six years ago, you'd have gotten tossed for not having able, yeah, you know, right. being able to give the proof. So it's, um, it's, it's very, very unfair. But I, I guess, no, I think, unfortunately, they're going to get away with it. The media is anyway. Um, guys, I'm, I'm sure that you've seen it on Truth Social. You've seen it on Twitter. There's a lot of people, a lot of people out there who, while they're happy to see Sussman um, in uh, in some jeopardy, um, and and of course Igor Danchenko, which we should probably talk about his case too in a second. So let's pick that up. But the, before I, we get to that, I wanted to say, but there are people who say the 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 real bad guys here. Um, Brennan's not gonna. Brennan will walk unscathed. No one from the FBI will pay. No one from the DOJ, like Bruce Orr, will pay. So, what do you think? Let's start with uh, Jeff. Let's start with you. Yeah, I mean that's. Uh, I guess that's the million dollar question. Um, uh, there's some tantalizing hints that. Durham might be pursuing a conspiracy, but for myself, I'm firmly in the camp of uh, I'm not going to believe anything until you prove it to me. I mean, the only thing that we, you know, we had the Kleinsmith debacle and what an embarrassment that was in terms of, you know, the FBI lawyer who got a slap on the wrist for fabricating FISA documents that basically if, if he'd been honest, there would have not been a FISA on Carter Page. Uh, Nothing happened. So I, I'm in the hugely skeptical, prove it to me, I'll wait and see for anything to actually happen. And yeah, I have a hard time seeing how, you know, somebody like Brennan, I, I just, I'm assuming they're just going to walk away on this. I, right. I guess I, what I think is more important at this point, and I, I almost hate to say this publicly, but I will, hmm. is that I think exposure is what's most important. Hmm. Um Despite my personal desire to see so many of these people be held accountable for what they did, what is most important is that it is out there publicly for our country to realize in a fashion that is digestible uh, the type of scandal that was actually perpetrated so that it never happens again. 
And as much as I want to see various parties you know, punished, it's held accountable, put in jail, whatever. What's more important to me is that everybody sees what happens and that this never, ever happens again. I'm going to differ a little bit on this because I, as I want to come back to what you said before about or what we agreed on before about the, the press as the public face of the intelligence community. And so the press can really spin these things around. The one time the times they've not really been able to spin things their own way is with the Danchenko indictment and with the Sussman indictment. They had to actually explain what they were being charged with. So while I'll admit I'm somewhat it's, it, I, I want I want vengeance for the country. I want vengeance for the particular victims, everyone from uh, Carter Page to Svetlana Lokova to Michael Flynn. Um, I, I, I think that there is nothing that helps explain something more than people being thrown in orange jumpsuits because the press at that point, they can't fake it. They can't color it. They have to explain why these guys were charged and if they and if they wind up doing time, why they're doing time. So while I agree, like I, I, I want everything out there for the public to understand, I also I, I, I think that will help explain it because the press is going to have to explain what then they can color it however they want say well you know it was all a setup it was a trump judge it was this it was that nonetheless that guy's in an orange jumpsuit and someone has to explain how they got there um, well i think what i'm exposing in my comments though is the fact that i'm skeptical that that yeah. happens yeah uh, it, it's i have a hard time seeing this thing climb politically high and there's obviously this kind of quiet behind the scenes battle that's going on with the DOJ. And I don't think it's so much with Garland. I think it's probably more with Lisa Monaco and John Carlin. Those are the two right. parties I kind of point my finger at. Carlin is and, leaving. I saw someone sent me a, a, an email recently saying that Carlin is leaving DOJ, uh, going to private practice. I've not seen that. I'm surprised yeah. by that. Uh, yeah. And and that actually, I guess that's something we'll have to follow up on because I would think to me, that's kind of a potentially significant development if indeed huh. that's okay. the case. Huh. And I guess I wonder a little bit like, you know, Garland from my vantage point is a figurehead. And, um, hmm. but by the same token is as this figurehead, he has a reputation as this thing progresses and gets worse and worse. Um, what's going to be his appetite for, you know, potentially sacrificing kind of his reputation down the long mm -hmm. run. So maybe that ties in a little bit to Carlin leaving, but we'll have to explore <coughs> that further. Uh, by the way, quickly, it's, it's five of uh, five of five here on the East coast, five of two over there on the West coast. You guys are okay to run a little past an hour, uh, Jeff, Fool, Hans, you guys good? Or, or, or you need to cut off, let me know. I'm totally fine to go. I'm good to go for however long you need. All right, thanks, guys. So then, let, then let me ask, uh, Fool, let me ask you next. Uh, do you think, uh, is this going to go beyond Michael Sussman and Igor Danchenko? I, well, I mean, I think it's definitely, I mean, I think it's definitely going to go past that. I don't know how far. Like, I think, jo like, it's looking like Joffy's, pretty much screwed if they have Dagon kind of immunized and, and stuff like that. And and hopefully they get to these privileged uh, documents, but Elias is like, if they go up to Elias, 
That would be, I mean, that's pretty high to me. Hmm. If they can get a lot, like he looks like he's going to be in trouble. If they go to Elias, that's higher than I ever thought they would get to. Really? And if they can go past that, I, I mean, that's ridiculous. But I think, I mean, I think Elias is in jeopardy. That's higher than I ever thought. And then I guess on the FBI side, I'm not really expecting too much more. Maybe something like, I mean, I guess these FISA warrants, uh, the last one was hmm. June. Is that right? Yes, uh, yeah. Something like that might might be able to pop, but I mean we're not hearing really much whispers into the into what the FBI investigation is. Right. But it's so ridiculous to me that like Andy McCabe could get off scot free. Like he started obstruction investigation into his boss Jeff Sessions, yeah. his boss's boss yeah, Trump. Right. Right. It's unbelievable that that guy can't can get away with this because those two investigations were absolutely absurd. Such like a, a abuse of power that Andy McCabe should be in an orange jumpsuit. Like you're talking about. Um, I still can't believe that he, he just started investigating. Oh, he's like, all right, let's all right. Obstruction of justice investigation to Jeff Sessions right now, or whatever it was obstruction of Congress lying to Congress or whatever. And Trump, he, he fired my homie Comey, uh, obstruction yeah. of justice investigation <laughs> right now, which are completely right. illegal, completely illegal. Um, he did both of those. He should be in jail immediately, right. but I'm, I'm not expecting that to happen, but I think he should be. And then on the, on the CIA side, like Brennan, like it's so, it's so annoying. Cause they talk about like, uh, like you read his book and he's talking about like, Oh, we had communications of like people in Trump's orbit with Russians. And he's like, yeah. they're picked up, uh, picked up surreptitiously or whatever that word is because they were basically reverse targeting Manafort by spying on, on like uh, Kalimnik or Boyarkin or whoever it was, Um, which is illegal. You can't, you can't use those 702 queries or whatever to spy on Americans, but I'm sure they were. So I'm guessing he's going to get away with it for that. But I see in in full, just to jump in real fast, I guess, you know, I agree with the on Jaffe and Elias feels like a very real possibility, but what really is the impact of that? Okay, so Jaffe, somebody that really nobody knows anything yeah. about, uh, gets involved and is indicted. Okay, that's a name that nobody recognizes for the most part out in the general public. And if they go to Elias, uh, yeah, that's fantastic for you know, like us as investigators, but what does that really mean to the public? You know, Elias left hmm. Perkins Cooey and Perkins can just say, Hey, you know, we had no idea. It was, you know, kind of a rogue guy operating. I, I guess yeah. I, I, I incorporated those thoughts into my earlier comments. I just yeah. don't see that mattering well, that much. I think, well, that- I mean, actually like on a, in like a, like an actual mattering, if you can get Elias tied up in, in legal matters, then he can't do his electioneering bullshit that he does. Like it would actually would matter if Elias was, was told, in jail told, or, totally, or, or fighting I indictment. I completely agree. Like, that, yeah, for the public, no. I yeah. completely agree with that, but that's not the validation for the public of right. Spygate yeah. was real. No, There's totally yeah. different things. Who would you I, I need to get, with, Jeff? Who would you need to get? Um, me, I, me, I disagree. Um, okay. I mean, first of all, I think that is correct that, um, I mean, and Fool and I discussed this offline a lot uh-huh. in terms of um, what are all our data points? What do we know and what can we sort of glean from those? Uh, a very important data point is Bill Barr, his book, all his public comments, and so on. 
everything you get from there is no. There's going to be no uh, cases brought against government actors, whether it's FBI, CIA, whatever, that, that's just not going to happen. Uh, another, of course, very important data point is uh, is the Sus- is Sussman case, um, lesser so the Danchenko case. All the Sussman filings point to this not going beyond the, the people that we just talked about. So we're not going to get the government actors. So that sort of, um, I, I think that's maybe not set in stone, but but pretty much. But I disagree in terms of whether Elias is, uh, is, is a big fish or whatever. I think he's a massive fish. But not only do I think he's a massive fish, I think he is going to go down along with Joffe, along with the fusion uh, bros, uh, Simpson and Fritch, and perhaps a few others. Hmm. Everything that... Um, Durham's been saying in recent filings points at that. So you got a conspiracy between those people. And he's spelled it out many times now. Now, uh, a conspiracy in itself is not a crime. There has to be some underlying crime. What's the underlying crime? Well, the underlying crime is, is giving the FBI fake data. Like everything is focused on that. So much effort has gone into that. He's spoken about that so much. So I'd be very surprised and disappointed if it didn't go with the people I just mentioned that at some point we're going to get an indictment against all of those for trying to basically defraud the, uh, the FBI uh, by pushing all this fake data. Um, but that said, um, I think that would be fantastic in terms of uh, the public and, and sort of getting the answers and whatever. Elias was Clinton's campaign lawyer. Sussman was sort of the sidekick, but Elias was the guy. Elias has been the Democrat lawyer for the past 20 or so years. Elias is the guy who won Al Franken his his Senate seat against uh, Norm Coleman. <laughs> time, you know, got that overturned. Elias is the guy responsible for the 2020 election. Uh, I think Elias would be absolutely huge because yeah. I think, by and large, the public understands that you know people like Clinton are not held to account. It's it's sad, it's unfortunate, it's whatever, but it just kind of doesn't happen. Uh, maybe 47 can make it happen, but it's, it's not going to happen in the current circumstances. So I think Elias would be absolutely fantastic and it would have a huge impact. Well, I would what, love to see Elias, uh, you know, involved in this. But as far as the larger public goes, you know, I guess I'm just going to if, if let's say that there's something that comes out tomorrow on Hunter Biden, the Elias news is going to be completely subsumed, in my opinion. I don't think anything will happen with Hunter Biden. I think it's yeah, do I, but I'm just saying, I, I think in my opinion, I think anything that happens with Elias is huge to our group. And it right. is huge in terms of the election impact that he has with his whole unit. I, but the American public won't, the American the public. Guys. I just, yeah. I don't know that well, that carries well, the weight. Who, who do you, who, who, first of all, I'm going to ask you, Jeff, who do you need to get? for the America, for the American public um, to feel that there is accountability and that someone is being held responsible for turning our country upside down the last six years. And then I want to go back to Fool and Hans for a second and ask them to, you know, to go through what they see, why Elias is in trouble. But Jeff, yeah, you would say first, like who, who needs to be indicted for, for us to feel that this country is, 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 is moving forward. Well, once again, I do want to reiterate that I think Elias is in trouble, but in terms of somebody, you know, that's a tough question to answer. Is it, is, is somebody like, and I don't think it's going to happen, but is somebody like Jake Sullivan, Jennifer Palmieri, somebody affiliated with the Clinton campaign um, and perhaps people that have current affiliations with the Biden campaign, is that enough? Um, 
I think there's an awful lot of people out there in the public that kind of have their hopes. You know, on the one hand, they're saying, oh, it's never going to happen. But if you don't get somebody that's up there with the magnitude of a Hillary Clinton, they're just going to adopt the attitude that once again, the, you know, the lower people maybe take a hit and the people that matter get away with it. I, I, I see um, Jan, Jan Kellick, of uh, uh, Epoch Times colleague and American thought leaders. He's listening and thanks, Jan, for listening. But his uh, his partner on Cash's Corner, Cash Patel, has has I believe that he thinks it's very hard. It will be hard to get Andrew McCabe, but he believes that uh, I mean he's long made this case that uh, that McCabe is a real possibility. If they were, if if the if uh, if Durham was able to indict McCabe, what would that tell people? I think yeah, I think Hillary Clinton. I, I think I, I think that's I, I I've never thought anything like that was going to happen. But Andrew McCabe, because of what the guys the Hipsy investigation, you know, objective Medusa thought I said, yeah, it seems that McCabe's a possibility. What, would that? Uh, what would that I mean, mean, McCabe got fired from the FBI and had an entire Inspector General report done on all the actions that he took, and Andrew McCabe ends up. Uh, you know, as a contributor on what is it, MSNBC or CNN? I forget which network, and nobody seems to care. I think it's CNN. Yeah, right. And they restored his pension. Right. Um, uh, Fool uh, or Hans, rather, Hans. Do you want to say why, why, why you see Elias in trouble? And also, you know, okay. Uh, the again, it's. I think it's in the it's in the filings when you read them very carefully, and uh, you know we. So spend our day doing that over and over. Um, there's just absolutely no indication that it's going to go beyond Elias as much as we wish ah. it might. Um, McCabe is, a, is an additional problem, which is nothing's happened so far, despite, as Jeff you know, just said, the evidence was all there years ago. Uh, yeah. So then you also get statute of limitations issues, which, by the way, you get for the other ones. You get, kind of get for everyone at this point. But... Um, Again, if you look at the look at the recent filings from Robbie Mook, who would be kind of in this in a similar position as Jake Sullivan, you know, a very high up campaign guy who was sort of involved with this. So Mook was very careful uh, in wording it. He kept saying, well, uh, there was nothing wrong as far as I knew or I didn't know there was anything wrong during the campaign or, you know, just the the sort of uh, always hedging with with their language. And I I think Cash is right. It's just extremely difficult getting anyone you know, on a, on, on a criminal law basis, um, just because they built in all those layers of deniability. So, you know, between Danchenko and, the, and Hillary Clinton, there's probably like seven different layers of deniability built into that. So it just gets more difficult each, you know, each layer to, to prosecute these people. So, again, I think that's why Elias is where we kind of have to cut off. But as I said, I, Elias would be fantastic. And I think the reason why he's in trouble and not the others who are higher than him is because he was actually in the room, like on July 29th, with uh, Steele and Simpson and and Sussman. Um, they were all in the same room. They were concocting these these things. In the most recent filing, he talks about another meeting on August 12th, where they were all in the same room. By the way, that was one day after Sussman had been invited to the FBI to be briefed about the DNC hack. And then he calls an emergency meeting at 730 uh, in the morning the next day uh, to discuss these things. And again, Elias is there. So if you're looking for someone who was physically in the room while these things were being discussed, where you can actually prove he was there, Mm -hmm. Elias is the highest up you can go. Interesting. 
a fool. Well, yeah, and like those those meetings, like he's meet he's meeting directly with with Joffy Sussman, Sego Simpson, whoever, and he's telling Joffy to go and 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 proceed with this basically conspiracy. He's basically like saying, "Look, I forget what the words were exactly, but he's like go and and try to dig up, look into this dirt and dig up dirt on Trump, basically." And like, and, and I mean, we don't know what the privilege logs or the privilege information say, but there has to be somebody directing them to go to the FBI because like in this contract between Perkins Coy and, and fusion, and then the subcontractor Orbis, there has to be in that contract to say, like, we've looked at other, we've looked at other like contracts that are similar to this for like consultancy, somebody uh, that's actually um, signing that contract has to say, give them permission to go to the press or go to the FBI, you know? So, mm. it, and it's pretty obvious that, that Elias knew that this information was garbage. Um, so right. I think that liability, if, if, if Durham's going after this conspiracy, basically to defraud or contract fraud mm. or whatever, to defraud the government, then, yeah. then Elias is the guy directing it. Huh. Um, what is what is so Sego uh, is is cooperating. What is she going to say? Well, she was in the she was in the room with with Joffe and 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 right. and Elias and whoever. And if she, she's in that room, she she knows and she's on these emails between Joffe and them. So she knows what the plan was. Like she knows if somebody says like or like what their actual inner thoughts were. Like we know this is garbage, but we're going to bring this to the FBI to try to get get this narrative because that's like it, it reminds me of the 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 jim comey news hook thing where he went and briefed trump on the dossier right. so then cnn could run the run the run the story on it or uh, or uh or buzzfeed to you know release the dossier it's the right. same thing they wanted to get this dirt into the fbi they just wanted that that investigation started so that news hook could be the fbi's investigating trump that's all they right. wanted that was their right. entire goal. And Sego might know if that was actually, was their actual goal. Somebody's going to, I mean, Joppy's pleading the f- fifth all day long, but somebody has to say that was our goal just to go to the FBI and get this news hook. Cash and, is in. And, I mean, yeah. and even beyond that, like Joffe, Joffe and Dagon and, and Dan Jones, they were going to Congress after that. They're bringing the same thing to Congress all the way through 2017. So statute of limitations is going and going. I, I, I'm I'm sorry, Hans or Jeff, you were going to say something. I, I guess I was just going to jump in. One thing I've always yeah. kind of maintained is the entire reason that they hired Steele, whose reports are just obviously garbage, was the fact that he had ins to both the FBI and into the State Department, and that that was really the only reason that they they really wanted to get involved with him in the first place is 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 the in that he gave them to the areas that they didn't have necessarily immediate access. Is steel in, is steel in jeopardy at all? Any, any got any takers on this? Hans? I don't think he's in any jeopardy, but that that's my lawyer take. The, uh, uh, in the transcript from the hearing they had the other day, um, uh, the Philippus, who's the lawyer for, uh, for Durham's team, I mean, said, mm-hmm. We, we can't call him. He's in a different country. We can't get him. And um, I, I don't think they're going to, with everything that's going on with Assange, and then there's this other lady, the CIA lady, who killed the kid over in the UK and then kind of left the country. And the right. UK wants to have, hit, have her. 
and the U.S. wants to have Assange, and you know, with all that back and forth, I don't think uh, Durham is any position to ask for Steele to be extradited. So, and uh, the Fifth has basically conceded that the other day. He said, you know, we're, we're not just, we're not going to see this guy. It's not, not going to happen. Right. So, no, I, I think he's he's in the clear. But um, coming back to this point about uh, Jeff's point about bringing these things, carrying these ideas into the FBI, uh, that's certainly what Steele was hired for because he had the connections. I mean, he was. He had uh, pushed stuff uh, for the um, for some British interest into the FBI to do with the the FIFA World Cup scandal. Right. Um, interestingly, I mean, I don't want to digress too much, but interestingly, built around the very same kind of ideas that we see in the dossier. You know, Sechin plays a big role, and all the same kind of names oh, right. there as well. <laughs> right, it's all it's all the same people. It's the same deal. It's about Rosneft. Exactly. It's, 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 about, it's about Qatar and Russia, right? The I mean, soccer World Cup is totally uh, to do everything yeah. with the same people. Right. Exactly. It's, 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 it's amazing, right? It is, but he did have that in into the FBI. So I think they right. were, clearly they were using him for that. And there's an interesting kind of side story with that, which is that um, why did, was there that meeting, what we started off with today, that July 29th meeting where the two prongs kind of come together? Um it, it sort of makes more sense, especially if you're Elias and you're running this show, to keep everyone separate, not have them in the same room. Like Steele does his things over there and Sussman does his things over there and they don't, you know, they don't have touch points. So why did you, why did they create that touch point? It makes no sense. You know, you're creating a risk there. And um, so the, I mean, my theory on that is if, if you look at Sussman's uh, testimony in Congress in 2018, he's asked about that. Like, did you ever meet Steele? Oh, yeah. You know, he kind of is very coy about it. And why did you meet Steele? And so the only, he's very coy about the whole thing. But the only thing he keeps saying is Elias asked me to vet him. Why would you need to right. vet the guy? I mean, he's already, at that point, he's already like churning out his, uh, his dossiers. He's already been to the FBI. The whole thing is in full motion. So it makes no sense. Apart from one thought here, which is what if the initial thought, again, we're talking end of July here, was for Steele to take this alpha crap into the FBI because he's already got the the in with them, uh, rather than Sussman himself, because, again, that's a huge risk to Sussman, which he's now paying for. And I think that was the plan. Bring in Steele, assess him. Sorry. No, go ahead. I I mean, I I, I think what they did, I I mean, they're pushing the – I, I mean, they're 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 using it all all the times multiple channels to push the dossier into the FBI and elsewhere to make it look more legit, right? I, I mean that that's what I would imagine. They have Sussman pushing it in on one end, and they have you know they've got Steele and probably they've got Steele and um, they've got they got Steele and Bruce Orr. But a bit of pushback on that. Sussman's sure. a lawyer. Sussman's a smart guy. Sussman's a very high-ranking lawyer. I mean, very well-paid, all of, the, all of the above, right? He knows it's a risk, and he, he, he lied. He put that in the, in the text message that we yeah. talked about earlier. So if you're a lawyer and you go to the FBI with a lie and you openly lie to them because you're part of some scheme, you kind of you don't do that because you're a lawyer and you know you're risking everything, and it's just it's really, really bad news. So you don't do that unless you have to. And so I think they wanted to have Steele do that because he was their kind of their FBI guy, just keep pushing stuff. But then they met this guy, Steele, and he was just so huh. kind of not impressive, <laughs> uh, which he is. I mean, he's completely yeah. unimpressive. Uh, and it just, uh, you know, just it, 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 it's amazing. The press, uh, right. It's amazing the job the press did to build this clown up. Right. I, I mean, exactly. You know. Well, that, that comes back to the media, but I right. think after the meeting, they just decided, look, we can't use this guy. This guy is ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> and poor, poor Sussman yeah. had to, was kind of chosen to do yeah. it himself. 
himself. And, you know, now he's the one who got charged. Jeff, were you going to? Well, I, I think that Hans raised a, a really interesting point in this is that we keep seeing this recycling of these same individuals. And yes, I agree with his thesis that they brought, well, I mean, I, I put it forth. I think, you know, they brought in Steele because they thought he had these connections into the FBI and into the State Department. And the problem is once they got Steele, they realized that he's you know kind of an idiot. But <clears throat> I saw somebody made a comment here that Orr had talked to Robert, Robert Otto. And this gets back to what Hans is saying, that we keep seeing the same people recycled throughout. You know, uh, McCabe goes way back with Bruce Orr. Uh, he brought him in on the Robert Otto right. case. McCabe goes way back with Lisa Page. It's amazing. Right. She's his personal special counsel through two different cycles and oh yeah, Lisa Page also happened to work for Bruce Orr. It's yeah. these same individuals that keep coming up time and time again. And it's this very tight little circle of operatives that then get amplified by the media into a, a much, much louder voice. Um, we're talking about Steele, so I, I do want to I want to touch on the I, I want to touch on the Danchenko case. And look, you guys say, and, and, and Hans, you make a pretty convincing case through the, uh, you know, through your reading of, of uh, Barr's book. But what's the point of going after Danchenko if they think they have no, if they think they have no way to get steeled or no way to get at anyone at the FBI? Because Danchenko would presumably take them right to, well, I mean, it takes them to David, if they wanted David Lofman. If they wanted the FBI, then Danchenko would presumably take them there. So, it, so what's the idea? Just to go after Danchenko and that's it, or does Danchenko lead them to something else? I should let, let, let me Hans, if you want to go, but I want I want to get Fool's take on this too to to, to make sure we're getting his uh, his voice in there. But Hans, if you if you got an answer, yeah, or or or, or speculation, maybe. it doesn't have to be a. It doesn't have to be a certain answer. I, I don't think Durham knows where this is going to lead. I mean, I think initially when uh, Danchenko was charged, there was also a statute of limitations issue. So it had to be done because uh, he clearly lied to the FBI. So let's charge him and let's see what happens. Um, I think the, the fact that the, the way that the Philip is, I've just read the transcript. I didn't, I wasn't in court. I don't know how he said it, but it just sat from context and just sort of how the wording and so on. It tells me that, um, they're kind of disappointed. It's like, yeah, we'd love to have Steele, but we can't have him. So I guess, you know, maybe five, six months ago when Danchenko was charged, that wasn't known yet. So um, I don't I don't think that Durham is entirely sure where this is going to head, the whole Danchenko side of things. But you mentioned Laufman. I mean, my, that would be my personal kind of favorite guy to to be yeah. indicted here because it, to me personally, he's he's probably the worst of the whole lot. Um, if, if, if he gets indicted, and I don't think he will, he's DOJ, was DOJ, you know, this is not going to happen, but he's, just, and he, he, he would not resonate with the public. No one knows who David Laufman is, but in a way, if knowing about this stuff and having read this stuff for the past few years and so on, he, to me is sort of my, my personal worst yeah. guy in, in all of this, um, just for the, uh, for the, our viewers. So the, David Laufman is, uh, was with the DOJ and he's the guy who gave Danchenko the sweetheart deal where Danchenko could sort of come in and lie about everything. And this is very, very early on. This is in, in January of 2017. If, and, and of course it wasn't 
de- it wasn't it was a sweetheart deal in the sense that they wanted Danchenko to lie because they wanted all this to be perpetuated. They wanted the, the Mueller and everything that the, the whole of the past four or five years, all of that wouldn't have happened if Laufman hadn't done what he what he did. And uh, then you know it's just it's just absolutely terrible. And I would love for someone to sit him down under oath and question him about exactly why he did what he did because there would be no answers. Uh, how did this all come about? You know, there, there was no reason whatsoever to give Danchenko that sort of sweetheart deal. They, they had him dead to rights. It, it was just, just absolutely, you know, with everyone on the Trump side, they just broke down the door at 5 a.m. and arrested the guy or, or brought in the guy for questioning or whatever. This guy gets right. a sweetheart deal. Anyway, that all comes back to Laufman. So as you mentioned the name, uh, sorry for the rant there. But, no, 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 that's good. Um, I maybe maybe it's going to lead up to something to do with Laufman. I really hope it does. I don't think so because again, mm-hmm. DOJ, and I don't think uh, that Durham's going to touch any kind of government actors. But uh, he would certainly be someone who, as you said, if Danchenko talks, you know, Laufman's head is on the chopping block. There are a lot. Of, there are a lot of people in that um, January briefing, January twenty seventeen briefing. There were a whole bunch of crossfire hurricane people in that room debriefing Danchenko, right? I, 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 I again, maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm letting hope uh, outpace reality, but uh, it, it, it strikes me that if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to get people, Danchenko wouldn't be a wouldn't be a bad way to go through it. Fool. Yeah, I was going to say, like going off of that, like I think, I mean, I think Danchenko is definitely going to plead at some point, but I think like he's. Durham wants to get steel. They want to know who, who basically cooked up these lies, basically, that went into the dossier. And hopefully uh, Danchenko can flip up and get steel. I think that's like the, the goal of Durham. And then maybe steel can flip on somebody else. But like this talking about steel being a, a, a witness at some point, like, I'm glad they're not going to get him. Like I'm hoping that that Steele gets indicted for lying to the FBI, and then he'd be useless as a witness because his word means nothing. I hope he. I hope right. he's ruined as a witness. Um, and then going on from I mean, there, yeah. like, I mean, we, what was we, that? We, I'll, 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 no, I'll, I'll, I'll just remind uh, remind uh, our our audience that uh, Senator Grassley did refer Steele in uh, correct in, in, in 2018, a criminal referral for lying to the FBI. So yep. And then, of course, nothing nothing came of it. Yeah, nothing happened. But uh, I'm hoping Danchenko, like, it's, at some point, Danchenko will be like, this is this was the game. This is what happened because he knows what the game was. Right. But um, even going forward f- from there, like, it, it it moves on to, like, eventually Dan Jones was basically paying for, for Steele and Danchenko. And it could move on to, like... Steele or Danchenko or whoever could flip, start flipping on Dan Jones in the, uh, in his little, uh, what was it? Democracy. Uh, Integrity project. Yeah. Yeah, There you go. Yeah. Yeah, So, I mean, he picked up the bill and then he went on to be interviewed by the FBI three times. So like, I feel like at some point it's going to move on. And, and of course, Joffe was going to Dan Jones as well. So eventually it's going to move on to those guys. So besides Steele, I feel like Dan Jones is another target of the FBI potentially mm, because he was, he was, he took up the operation after the election. Right. So, uh, and so at the same time, that. uh, no. Dan Chanko was being interviewed in March, May, June and, and beyond. So I think that's where that might be headed for who, who, 
who was actually in charge of this operation on that Danchenko steel side. It could go up to Dan Jones or Simpson or whoever. Speaking of Dan Jones, were any of you guys surprised? I wanted to ask Jeff before, because he brought up, uh, I believe it was Jeff who brought up Harry Reid. I wanted to ask you guys if, <laughs> if there was any surprise that according to uh, Fusion GPS, I believe it was Peter Fritsch in one of his emails to Jay Solomon, then at the Wall Street Journal, said, yeah, go talk to Adam and Schiff and Di Fi, meaning Diane Feinstein, Dan Jones's former uh, boss at, I believe it was Senate Intelligence. Yeah, it was Senate, uh, Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Were any of you guys surprised that appear, it appears that both Adam Schiff and Dianne Feinstein were read into uh, were read into the dossier operation well before the 2016 election? Not at all. Um, <clears throat> fully expected. Uh, mm-hmm. The only things that I guess I would note is that that is a data point. This means that Fusion had briefed both Feinstein and Schiff well before July 26 on that email. Yeah. So before Crossfire Hurricane, right. before, you know, that uh, they had probably briefed them well early on, but not only had that's, they briefed that's Dianne really Feinstein, important. You're right. that they briefed date, Dan Jones. Right. That actual date before they opened Crossfire Hurricane is really important. Right. They, it's important to remember the date of this email is July 26, 2016. And if he's confident enough, if this is Simpson telling Solomon, go talk to Feinstein, a senator, and Schiff at the House. Yeah. That briefing, it didn't happen the day before. There's absolutely no chance that somebody like Feinstein or, you know, I'd focus more on Feinstein than Schiff because Schiff is just Schiff. But imagine if you're Dianne Feinstein. Fair, yeah. You would have to have the complete background and story, a great understanding. So to me, that backs that date up by a minimum of a few weeks, if not more. And again, it also implies that Dan Jones knew everything back at that point in time as well. And just to clarify what Fool said, and perhaps I misheard him, but I, I didn't hear this, is that not only did he employ steel, he was employing fusion. Uh, after the election. All right. Um, yeah, and right. was funded yeah. to the tune of how many millions of dollars. So, Right. Fool, Hans, were you surprised to see um, that Schiff and Feinstein had been read in? I was not surprised whatsoever. Um, <laughs> that seemed like a natural thing to happen. I mean, I, I guess we don't know if they actually were read in, but it seems like they probably were. But uh, it brings me back to actually, like, this is actually a, a weirder connection that like obviously Dan Jones worked for for Diane Feinstein on on the torture report that was his big thing mm-hmm. and right. and a lot of people don't know this like um the few the Hur- crossfire hurricane fusion cell which was Brennan's group that was stood up the lawyer right. that was in head, uh, in charge of that the chief her name is Liz Vote and uh, that's when they talked to about like the white house is when they say whoever blank the white house said the white house is running this that was Liz of the fusion cell and she was she was like this lawyer that actually sent that memo to Peter Strzok on September. But it's interesting uh, because she she was actually a lawyer that um, approved of like or like sort of like was involved in the cover up of the torture. And she was one of the main uh, witnesses for Dan Jones in that torture report or one of the main targets of Dan Jones in that torture report. 
And it's yeah. also weird because because John Durham was the person that actually went and investigated if that was right. he was like special <laughs> counsel that investigated Liz vote. And uh, at that time, it's so weird that all it kind of circles back. But Dan yeah. Jones and her natural, I think, sort of enemies because he was investigating her in the torture report. And well, uh, now well, they're kind right. of on the same side well, that's uh, in this crossfire hurricane thing. It's really right. weird. Well, same with Brennan and Jones. And that that's one of the things yep. that's given me reason to yep. reconsider how, how Dan how, Jones's role. Well, yeah, if that's if that's if that's a cover story or if that's just a front story for something else. Yeah. Right. Especially after yep. Jones went and especially just after a big movie making him to be here. I'm like. There's something yep. that doesn't sit right about that story on the torture stuff, which we'll have to revisit some other time, and we'll 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 have enough time to do that some other time. But but that story strikes exactly. me as fishy now. Um, well, look, yep. guys, we're, we're, I'm, I, we've got only a couple minutes because I am going to shut it down at at, at five thirty. But just closing remarks. Um, yeah, closing remarks. So we, we you know we've got a couple minutes, so no rush. But your closing remarks. And uh, and again, thanks so much to the three of you guys for being here. And thanks to this excellent audience. We've got a lot of people listening, as, as, as I knew there would be, wanting to hear Jeff and Fool and Hans. You guys are, are awesome. Hans, you want to start with a closing remark or anyone wants to start with it? Fool, you want to give it a shot or what do you want to do? Oh, no, I was just going to say thanks, Lee. And my closing remarks aren't going to be long, but just thanks for having me. This is been awesome meeting you guys i know jeff and hans have been great friends of me and we talk all the time and uh i'm happy to do this whenever and uh well, well, hopefully well, the audience enjoys it we we will do it again i'm i'm pretty i'm pretty sure they have we'll we'll do it again soon i promise it's been an awful lot of fun hans awesome. yep yeah no, no, thanks so much lee for having us on and you know thanks to all the listeners as well um I guess where I would leave everyone with what I would leave everyone with is that um, just this thought that Durham is really up against the odds. And given that he's done really well, I, I see a lot of criticism of, of him all the time. And, you know, in a way we, we criticized him as well today by kind of insinuating that he wasn't going to go after the campaign honchos. He wasn't going to go after government actors and so on, uh, which I don't think he will for the reasons we discussed, but um Look at where he is, right? He's got a very small team. He spends like a, a f tiny fraction of what Mueller spent. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't use the same methods. He doesn't go in at 5 a.m. and like beat down someone's door, probably because he can't. Uh, maybe, maybe he's not one yeah. he that. Maybe he's not that kind of guy. But uh, certainly look at what happened recently with these. Uh, we, we talked earlier about all these um, emails, which are supposedly privileged and he can't see them. Of course, they're not privileged. They, you know, now Elias is saying, "Oh, fusion is fusion was giving legal advice." This is all absolute crap. Uh, this is all just being said to keep these emails hidden. Uh, did they ask these questions before they burst into Michael Cohen's office, mm -hmm. the president's personal lawyer, and seized everything? So Durham doesn't have that clout, probably because he's within the DOJ that he's in. You know, with uh, Garland and all those people over there, Monaco and so on. Uh, he's got a very small team. He's got a very small budget. He knows that if he does anything loud or big, uh, the pressure to shut him down will be huge. So he's he's just he, he keeps having to walk this tightrope. So I guess that's yeah. sort of my my final thought on this. Kind of um, given his circumstances, I, I think he's done really well so far. Yeah. Um, thank you, Hans. Jeff. 
Well, again, thank you very much for having this. This has been great. Um, and I guess I would just continue with Hans's comments that, you know, there was a little bit of pushback earlier in terms of where this was going to climb and, and what Durham was going to do. But what Durham has done with you utilizing these speaking indictments is get this information out before the public. And I, I think that's one of you know, the biggest gifts that he could have given to us, given the operating constraints that he obviously has, and that is a hostile DOJ and a limited hmm. budget. And yet he's managed to get the kind of information out there. You know, we've been talking about, essentially, we've been talking about what he's put forth for an hour and a half. That information yeah. we wouldn't have had without all of his efforts. And I, yeah. I just, to me, yeah, yeah. that's incredibly important. You're right. Um, well, look, again, I wanted to thank you guys, but also really significantly, I want to thank the audience, all of you for listening in, not just for spending your Saturday afternoon on this, wherever you are, East Coast, uh, in the middle of our great country, or the West Coast. But look, this has been going on since 2016. And all of you guys in the audience, uh, you and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of Americans have been following this story. You know what it represents for America. You've, you've been following all of us. Many of you are great researchers on social media and you're great writers yourself and your contributions, just paying attention to this. I, I mean, I, I just feel it's so vital. It's really been inspiring to me and I believe it's been inspiring as well to the three guests we had on today. So really thank you so much for your for your attention to all of this and the, and the way that you've been following it and the information you've been putting out and the information uh you're you're disseminating with friends and family so thank you so much and um we're fighting i mean we're in it we're fighting for our great country and, and we're doing well so thanks to uh thanks again jeff and fool and hans and thank you all of us or thank you all of you in the audience and i hope you'll join us again next saturday afternoon at 4 p.m thanks again everyone have a great rest of your weekend bye and god bless Thanks.